Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for tuning in to the pod. We've got a great guest today. Matthew Miller is a writer with MLive.com. If you live in Michigan and you want to know what's going on around the state, you definitely need to stay in touch with MLive. Matthew, I've never had the opportunity to interview you before, but I know you have a pretty rich history in journalism. Tell us a little bit about your background. I've been at papers in California and Alabama, but I spent about 18 years, well, actually about 20 years, you know, at the Lansing State Journal and then a couple of years in television and then joined them live this summer. And before we dive into some education stories I want to talk about, just want to get your overall impressions of the elections now that they're in our rearview mirror and what you thought about maybe what happened, not only in the state, but across the country. And what did you think about the media coverage, the media coverage that you saw and that you were a part of? You know, I think the media has, you know, done a fairly good job of adapting to, you know, what's a pretty contentious environment. I mean, you know, the divisions between the parties are what they are. And, you know, you're dealing with a situation where, you know, folks are just, they're operating with a lot of very different assumptions about kind of about what's true and threading that needle sort of talking about that is, you know, it's not the easiest thing to balance. But, you know, most of, you know, I think my colleagues in general have done a fine job of it. And, you know, you can sort of, if you look, if you watch some of the reporter interactions on social media with candidates and with candidate supporters, you can kind of get a sense, you know, of the day-to-day back and forth that happens. I know that my colleagues who do politics more, where that's sort of more the center of their beat, they're pretty tired. (laughs) They're glad (laughs) over for the time being. Let's talk about these education stories you wrote. One was titled, and just looking at the headline makes you want to dive in. That's the job of a headline, obviously, but this one was really impactful, I thought. Michigan's public universities have lost 45,000 students since 2011, and it's about to get worse. That's the headline. Tell us about the story, what made you dive into it, and what you learned. Well, the origin of that was, you know, I was starting to look at just the differences in enrollment, kind of some of the enrollment drops at the state's public universities. And that's been, you know, people have certainly written about that, you know, along the way. But what got me interested was, you know, seeing the level of kind of how far things had fallen at places like Eastern Michigan University or Central Michigan University, which, you know, Eastern, I think, has lost 40% of its students since the peak. And you start to think, what are the practical consequences of that? What happens when a school that is built out to hold 24,000 students or something like that is only enrolling 14,000? Yeah, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is partly it's that I think a lot of universities haven't quite reckoned with the depths of with just how far things are falling. I mean, let me talk about it for a second so that the listeners get a sense of it. Enrollment in Michigan's public universities peaked in 2011 at about 302,000 students. And that's partly a result of the 2008 recession. Like when people can't find jobs, they go back to school to retrain. And so from there, it's been a pretty steady decline at most schools. I think in aggregate, The state's public universities have lost 45,000 students since then. Just to put that in context, that's enough to clear out maybe the smallest six campuses in Michigan. But that doesn't get it exactly how bad it is, because what's happened is that the University of Michigan has grown by about 9,500 students during that time. 
MSU and Michigan Tech have stayed about level. And so the other 12 have lost a collective 55,000 students between them. I started wondering about this because I've seen stories from around the country where enrollment went down with universities and to cut costs, they cut sports, they cut other extracurricular activities. And there's always been that discussion about the Mid-American Conference and, you know, the Eastern and Western Centrals, all the schools in Ohio struggling to make ends meet when it comes to money. So if you don't have students there, it can be tough. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen any sports cuts, though I would not rule them out. I mean, what you see is things like Central Michigan University shuttered four of its dorms this year, and they're talking about a future where they're kind of smaller in a pretty permanent way. Eastern Michigan University sold the building that once housed its business college, and they just cut a deal with a private developer to tear down some of their old dorms and build some new ones. They'll have fewer beds when it's all done. But in exchange, they're giving up 35 years of revenue to that private developer. So that's a profit center for a lot of universities, and that's not going to be coming in for them. Matthew, when we come back, we're going to talk about what colleges and universities here in the state can do to get some of those students back. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Matthew Miller from MLive, and we'll be right back. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Connolly. This is the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with MLive.com's Matthew Miller, the great writer for them. And we were just talking about the loss of students at many public universities here in the state of Michigan. So, Matthew, we've lost 45 to 55,000. With those enrollments down, what are Michigan's public universities doing to try and rectify that problem? You know, they don't have a lot of good solutions because in large part, this is a problem of demographics. You know, birth rates are lower. The number of students graduating from high school every year is down, and it's expected to continue to fall for at least the next 10 or 12 years. And so this problem is really only going to get worse. And what you're going to see is you're going to see some of the flagship schools you know, University of Michigan, Michigan State are going to do fine because they have the reputation that makes students want to come there. But they're going to take a number of students who would have gone to some of the regional public universities, and they are going to be hard pressed to get the students they need. And they're going to have to make some hard choices about, you know, how do you get smaller? And that's not something universities are good at for Many, many years, universities have gotten bigger because more people have gone to college and, you know, it was more important for getting a job. And suddenly you have a situation where it's actually fewer students coming out of high school are going on to college afterward. And there's just fewer students coming out of high schools. 
Matthew, in regards to funding, it seems like Michigan and its leadership, its governors have been pretty good about funding and increasing it when they can. How are they doing now with funding from the state? And do you see Governor Whitmer increasing that as she just was reelected and is going to be here with us for us several more years? You know, it's hard to say with any precision. Michigan actually hasn't been great in terms of higher education funding, just relative to other states. And certainly a lot of that has to do with a massive cut that was put in in 2011. That was the first year of Rick Snyder's governorship. And they've cut public university funding pretty significantly. And if you adjust for inflation, it still hasn't recovered, though there have been increases since then. Now, the universities did get a pretty big increase for this budget year. And some of that is, you know, the state is doing pretty well because of COVID money. And so they pushed that through. And certainly this funding higher ed has been a priority for the Democrats. And I'd expect to see them continue to do that. But the thing about universities is that they have another way to make money. They charge tuition. And so it's pretty easy when budgets get tight or when there are competing priorities to say, well, you know, universities can just raise tuition again. Now, the tuition increases have outpaced inflation by about 15 percent over the last decade. And a lot of people are saying that's unsustainable. So we'll see how that shakes out. With the decreases in enrollments that we've seen, do you foresee in this economy, in this recession, in this challenging time, do you see students coming, more students coming back to colleges and universities? Or do you think this problem is going to continue? I mean, what we're seeing right now is that employers are having a hard time finding workers. And so a lot of people, if you can, you know, go and make $20 $20 an hour without a college degree, a lot of people are going to make that choice. You know, school for a lot of folks is, you know, it's a means to an end. And if you can get a good job without it, they will go ahead and do that. I think you're seeing in the larger economy some of the same problem that the universities are seeing. A lot of people retired during COVID and, you know, the baby boom generation that was bigger than the generations that came after. And so what you've got is you've got a smaller workforce, but a similar number of jobs. And so, It would make some sense that an economy that's friendly to employees would continue for a while, and that's going to hurt universities. Matthew, when we come back from break, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, it looks like the Democrats are going to really increase their majority on the Michigan Board of Education. So I want to talk with you a little bit about that. I find public education fascinating, especially with what's been going on around the country. So we'll talk a little bit about that next. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with MLive.com's Matt Miller. You can follow him on Twitter. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. For a home equity line of credit, ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to laughq.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life.
Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly talking with Matthew Miller, and you can follow him on Twitter, the great writer from MLive.com. And it looks like after the election, the Michigan Board of Education is going to tilt a little bit more to the left. Tell me you know, what we learned after the election, Matthew, and what that means for education here in the state. So Democrats, they had a pretty solid majority on the State Board of Education going into the election. And this just kind of, it's not going to increase their majority, but it is going to maintain a five to two majority. There is one vacant seat that was vacated by a Democrat earlier in the summer, Jason Strayhorn. And Governor Gretchen Whitmer is going to get to make that appointment. So eventually this will presumably be a six to two advantage. The thing about the State Board of Education is that they really don't have a lot of day-to-day power over education. You know, they can set standards, but really their responsibilities are more procedural than legislative, if that makes sense. You know, they can hire the state, they hire the state superintendent, Michael Rice, in this case. You know, they made the choice to stick with him when Tudor Dixon was criticizing him for some training videos that talked about how teachers can work with LGBT students in ways that, you know, some folks didn't think was appropriate. You know, basically a question of how much do you have to tell parents about students' gender identity and that sort of thing. And the Democrats on the board said, you know, well, you can dislike that, but we're not going to fire the state superintendent. And so things like that, but I mean, that's about as political as the board is likely to get any anytime soon. I know education certainly has been a big issue in this election cycle and kind of and parents' rights and what kinds of things should be taught in the classroom. But a lot of that, it happens much more at the local level than it does at the state board. What's your impression on what you've seen, what you've been hearing about the state of education in Michigan K through 12 in regards to school boards and parents and those interactions? It sure seems a lot more volatile in other parts of the country, especially on the East Coast. I'll tell you, I honestly don't have a great comparative perspective. Certainly, you've had some pretty wild school board meetings in a few places, and Grand Ledge is the one I'm thinking of right now, where you have people who, you know, kind of angry about, you know, some of the things that are going on in classrooms. I think in practice, nobody's actually teaching critical race theory in classrooms, just because critical race theory is something that you'd see at the college level more than anything. Now, certainly, schools engage in you know, diversity and inclusion kinds of stuff that some parents don't like. But I think some of the things that people are angriest about are things that very seldom make their way into classrooms, is my best sense of it. And just in talking about diversity and inclusion, Matthew, just want to get your take from your covering education here in Michigan. When do you think it started getting away from educators in K through 12 teaching our children reading, writing, arithmetic, science, biology, just the regular core stuff, and really getting into this behavioral, cultural stuff. I think that one thing that might have kind of led to that is the fact of the disintegration of a lot of families. I come from a single parent home. My coaches and teachers at the time looked after me I don't think they necessarily tried to indoctrinate me, but they kept after me to make sure that I was handling my academic business. But do you have a take on, you know, when did this change start occurring and why? So just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a piece on affirmative action in Michigan. Of course, affirmative action was banned by the voters in 2006. But 
the University of Michigan filed an amicus brief in the Supreme Court cases that are going on right now, saying they couldn't adequately build a diverse enough class, you know, without some sort of attention to race. And, you know, and part of that conversation is part of the conversation of, well, what's the advantage of diversity? What's the educational advantage? This is something actually Clarence Thomas was asking about during oral arguments. But if you listen to the people from the University of Michigan, they'll tell you that, you know, diversity is not just a benefit to you know, racial minorities, diversity is a benefit to everyone because you have the ability to sort of navigate the real world situations that you will require to navigate. You have the ability to approach people whose perspectives and experiences are different from your own and do that with some empathy or kindness, or at least sort of an ability to sort of reach beyond your own head on that sort of thing. I think my best sense of it is that, you know, it's really been sort of a while that schools have recognized public education has to serve everyone and they want everyone to be successful. And part of helping everyone to be successful is to kind of give people some of the tools they need to be, you know, in classrooms where not everybody comes from the same place. And that feels like that's a pretty longstanding thing, but it's taken different forms over the years. You know, and that's a tough thing, Matt. I'm a mixed race person. One of the college newspapers I worked at had a editor-in-chief and managing editor who were Hispanic. We had an African-American photo journalist. Our entertainment editor was gay. We had a couple of Caucasian women who were in sales. And so there was that diversity, although it wasn't forced. But it's a tough thing to do because it's quite obvious the more variety of people you are around, the more empathy you will have, the more you'll know the world better. But the people who have the credentials to get into places, man, it's just a tough place to navigate, it seems like, you know? Absolutely. We've been talking with Matt Miller. You can follow him at Matt Miller M Live on Twitter. He's, of course, the great writer for MLive.com. Matt, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Tony. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We'll see you next time.